listening to Best Served Cold, a Born Millennials podcast. The Australian true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. Formerly Egypt's 36th most popular true crime podcast, hosted by Tama J and Laura Lease. Sit down, relax, grab a drink and enjoy this week's episode. Oh. Hello. Oh, hey, what's welcome, the matter you? Welcome to another week of what's Best the matter you, Cold. Huh? Yes. Welcome to the podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. I am one of your amazing co-hosts, Laura, and I put the law in law-abiding citizen. Okay. And I'm your other co-host, Tom Tor. It's raining, it's pouring. Please, let's not start World War Three. Wow. Topical, specific. I like it. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting choice of words. I feel like it's very much needs to be said because it's like, well, you know, let's just True. not, let's just not have that happen. It's we don't like, really, we don't need that. Can everyone just... Let's just fucking chill. Yeah. Well, not even everyone. Just can Vladimir <clears throat> Putin chill? Oh, yeah. Just anyway, like a touch. Welcome anyway. back to the show. It is uh, still torrentially still raining, raining um, in Sydney. It hasn't really stopped. There was one day where it didn't. Uh, happened to be on Mardi Gras of all days as well, yeah, which was fantastic. Actually, see, God loves the gays. Yeah. You can never say God doesn't love the gays. Exactly. Um, so that was interesting. and mm. But yeah, we're still living through it. There is uh, uh, lots of floods happening in starting in lots. Queensland and then moved down to northern New South Wales. And now it's kind of happening all over New South Wales, specifically in Greater Sydney. Mm-hmm. A lot of floods, um, a lot of houses and people being affected. So it is a pretty catastrophic time. Um, but we'll get into that. Yeah. We'll get into that. Uh, but welcome back to another week. If you are new around here, we like to give a little disclaimer at the start of every show where we let you know that we do tend to swear quite a bit in the show. So if you are someone who doesn't like the curse words, we would kindly ask you to exit through the gift shop to your left. Feel free to take a souvenir, but please Mm -hmm. do not leave us a one-star review because that would make us very sad. Yeah. In fact, if you did enjoy this episode after you finish it, of course, please do give us a five-star review, which would be fantastic. helps out the show quite a bit. We would love if you haven't already, if you could leave us a review on either Apple. Spotify, I believe, also now allows you to give reviews. It genuinely helps us get the show out there and push it out to new people. And if you're interested in following us on social media, we are on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, at the BSC podcast. Yes. And I think that's all the kind of housekeeping that, that we is kind have of it. For yes. this week. Shall we just jump straight into it? Yeah, the we'll jump right into it. To go I think it is yours. Okay, let's um, say it's mine. So we'll start with the cases and then we'll have a little chit chat at the end of both cases if you like that. So stick around. Yeah, stick around to the end. Yeah. So today I am talking about someone who I was actually quite shocked that I don't or haven't seen him covered in a lot of podcasts and he doesn't seem to be one of those serial killers that's really talked about a lot. He has a very innocent sounding name. So I'm going to be talking about Donald Henry Gaskins Jr., a.k.a. Pee Wee Gaskins. Interesting name. So he has 15 confirmed victims but claims to have murdered as many as 200 men and women. Okay, that's a lot. So it is a lot. That's quite a bit. So Gaskins was born March 13th, 1933 in Florence County, South Carolina. He didn't know his father and he was one of many illegitimate illegitimate children to a single mother. During his younger age, Gaskins' mother had many men uh, come in and out of her life, many of whom physically assaulted both Gaskins and his four half-siblings. 
So as he got older, it quickly became very obvious that he was not going to be a man of, let's just say, tall stature, Mm -hmm. which is how he ends up getting his nickname Pee-wee, being that he only stands at five foot four. So growing up, Gaskins had a rough childhood with his mother neglecting him so badly that he alleged that he didn't even know his own first name until his first court appearance when he was a teenager when it was read out to him from the list of crimes. Okay, interesting. So as well as this, the neglect and abuse he suffered at home followed him into school with him being regularly violently bullied at school by both students and teachers. Because don't forget, this is the 40s, people. You could hit kids at school. I made that sound like I want to be able to hit kids. I just would like to clarify I don't. No, it was just a very regular thing for for that to happen during school. So because of this, at age 11, he finally uh, decides to take matters into his own hands and he leaves school, getting work at a like a car shop, which is where he meets two of his friends called Danny and Marsh. And together they form what they call themselves the Trouble Trio. So the three boys together would regularly commit break-ins, assault, as well as gang rapes at age 11. Jesus. Uh, The trio stopped their sexual rampage after being caught for gang raping Marsha's youngest sister. And as punishment, their parents bound and beat the boys until they bled. Jesus. So that kind of, turns the other two boys off doing it. However, Gaskins did continue to burgle homes on his own. So by age 13, Gaskins is convicted of his first crime after he hits a woman in the head with the uh, blunt side of an axe while being caught breaking into her home. He's sentenced to five years at a reform school where he was violently, physically and sexually assaulted by the other boys at the school. So after a short stint, he escapes and gets married at age 13 before turning himself back in at the school and completing his sentence and being formally released at age 18. So at this stage, at 18, he's managed to secure a job at a tobacco farm where allegedly him and another man would assist local businesses with committing insurance fraud by burning down their tobacco barns for them so they could collect the insurance payout. So he does this until he's again arrested, this time for attacking a young girl with a hammer after she accuses him of being involved in this fraud ring and he denies it and whacks her over the head with a hammer. This time, being that he's over 18, he's actually imprisoned and he quickly gains a reputation in the prison after murdering notorious inmate Hazel Brazel by slitting his throat and establishing himself as one of the power inmates within the prison. Jeez. So for this, Gaskins is given an additional three years as manslaughter because he claims that the kill is only done in self-defense. So proving himself quite the escape artist, Gaskins escapes prison in 1955 by hiding in a garbage truck and flees to Florida. Between 1955 and 1968, he's in and out of prison after burglarizing, stealing fencing equipment and raping a 12-year-old girl. He's released back into the community in 1968 for some fucking reason, and shortly after this, his murder spree begins. So in September 1969, Gaskins murders a young female hitchhiker whose name uh, appears to not be anywhere. Um, I was unable to find her actual name on any articles Mm -hmm. that I read. So when Gaskin picks her up from the side of the road, it's alleged that he suggests having sex with her and she kind of laughs at him and rebuffs him. So he flies into a rage, tortures, rapes and eventually murders her, disposing of her body in a nearby swamp. So he begins regularly hunting along the coastal highways and he terms the murders that follows this pattern as, quote, coastal kills. So Gaskins tells authorities that he would often kill... 
He would kill as often as every six weeks to keep himself calm and unbothered, stating that he killed as many as 80 to 90 men and women as coastal kills, keeping their bodies alive for as long as he could to torture them and sometimes cannibalise them. Many of these crimes in particular have been unable to be confirmed by authorities as true, though. So regarding the first young woman that he murdered, in his memoir that he uh, wrote in jail, he claimed, quote, all I could think about is how I could do anything I wanted to her, end quote. So many of Gaskin's coastal kills are based purely on information within Gaskin's biography. Nobodies were ever found and he gave no names uh, that they could actually confirm. So these murders were never able to be formally confirmed. So in November of 1970, he, uh, Gaskin's first formal confirmed murder is committed. That sentence did not make sense. Did that sentence make sense? I'll probably just try it again. <clears throat> we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. In November of 1970, his first formally confirmed murder is committed. There we go. There we go. Janice Kirby, 15, and Patricia Ann Alsbrook, 17, are murdered by Gaskin after he claims that he found out they were doing drugs. Janice was Gaskin's niece. So he lured the two girls to an abandoned house where he attempted to rape them, and upon failing to do so, he beat them to death. He claims the attack on them was punishment for their alleged drug use, although most suspect it was likely to be rebuffed sexual advances. So in 1971, he goes on to murder Martha Ann Dix, age 20, who was allegedly the dealer who supplied his niece and her friend with the drugs. Martha is poisoned, which is wildly uh, out of how we would normally kill people. It's the only sort of mention of poison that you could find. It's very weird and left of field. Abnormal for him to do so. So while all of this is happening, Gaskin befriends a 22-year-old woman in his town called Dorian Hope Dempsey. So Dorian has a two-year-old baby named Robin, and while staying with um, two of Gaskin's friends, Dorian falls pregnant for a second time and decides to leave town to you know, look for a better life. So she asks her friend for a ride to the bus station, and instead of actually helping her, he takes her to a wooded area where he rapes and kills her and then rapes, sodomizes, and kills the two-year-old baby, Robin. Oh, God. And he buries the two of them together. And Doreen is eight months pregnant at the time of her death. Although some sources, and this is the weird thing that I found about this guy, is there doesn't seem to be a lot of info, and the info that is available is wildly varied across sources so some sources say that gaskins drowned doreen and her baby as punishment as he was a raging racist and he'd found out that doreen's uh second pregnancy was to an african-american man so she was punished by him for having sex with an african-american man. right so it, it's very odd that there's like two wildly different stories as to what happened um, I would say that the first line of events is probably the most accurate because that is what is listed on uh, like a memoriam site. When you look up Doreen's actual name, it mentions her cause of death that she was sexually assaulted and murdered. So I'm going to say the first one is likely more accurate, but some sources do say that she was drowned. Right. So it's around this time as well that Gaskins purchases an old hearse and he jokingly tells people at his favourite bar that he needed the vehicle to haul all the people he killed to his private cemetery and everyone just kind of goes, ha ha, <laughs> weird old Gaskins. Yeah, whatever, yeah. Fucking peewee. What a peewee thing to say. Yeah. 
So at this time, he's living in Prospect, South Carolina with his wife and child. And around town, he had kind of a reputation for having an explosive temper, but not actually being dangerous. Some people, like Doreen, actually liked him and considered him a friend. In June 1974, another man who claimed him as a friend, Johnny Sellers, 36, is shot by Gaskins in the back of the head. Um, he also stabs to death his own ex-girlfriend, Jesse Ruth Judy, who's age 22. And this all happens after Sellers asked for money that he's owed from the sale of a stolen boat. Because, mind you, Pee Wee is still very much involved in burglarizing and just basically doing anything illegal to make money. Yeah. So by 1975, he's 42, and the next series of events are a little bit murky. So some sources say that the next thing that kind of happened was that Gaskins murders three unknown victims on the side of the highway, and he doesn't know how to properly kind of get rid of the bodies and the van himself. So he enlists the help of a friend and ex-con, Walter Neely, to drive the victim's van to his garage so he can repaint and sell it. However, the mention of this particular crime seems super patchy and super varied across different sources, so take that as you will. So in 1975 in February, Silas Barnwell Yates, aged 45, is also murdered by Gaskins. And this is, again, a bit left to field because... This is one that he's paid to do. So Yates is in a dispute with his ex-girlfriend, Susan Kipper Owens, and she and her current husband, John Owens, pay him $1,500 to murder Yates. Gaskins claims that he murdered Silas by a karate chop to the neck, but forensic, sciences, forensic scientists say definitively that they're like, no, you used a knife, dude. Yeah, that's... <laughs> he's like, I karate chopped him to death. All right, Bruce Lee. On February 12th, 1975, uh, Walter Neely's ex-wife, Diane Neely, lures Silas out of the house by claiming to have car troubles. Gaskin then kidnaps and murders him while John Powell and John Owens watch, two friends who had helped set up the hit arrangement in the first place, and then all three men bury Silas. Not long afterwards, Diane Neely and her boyfriend, ex-con Avery Howard, attempt to blackmail Gaskins for $5,000 in hush money. They probably shouldn't have done that because they too were quickly disposed of by him after they agreed to meet him for the payoff. And he was like, I'm not going to give you money. I'm just going to kill you. Yeah, this guy is a known killer. Yeah. Like, Not knowing his real personality, two local men, Johnny Knight and Dennis Bellamy, rob Gaskin's repair shop and are eventually killed and buried alongside the other locals that he'd killed. This time, he once again called on Walter Neely to help bury the pair, and Gaskins obviously took Neely in as a trusted friend, a fact proven that when he pointed out to Neely the graves of all the other local people that he'd murdered and buried there. And Neely's like, cool. Okay. Uh, got in a little bit over my head here. Yeah, this is uh, a lot. So... Pee Gaskin's end finally comes when investigation heats up over the murder of a young local girl called Kim Gelkins, who'd been stabbed to death. So after her disappearance, the authorities begin to become suspicious of Gaskins, and after searching his apartment, they find clothing that had been worn by Gelkins. He was indicted for contributing to the delinquency of a minor, and it was also discovered at the time that Kim was repeatedly raped by Gaskins and other men in town, like over a period of time, and then she was murdered to stop her from telling anyone. Right. So finally, as scrutiny on Gaskins and the people in his life heat up, Walter Neely cracks under pressure. Neely shows police Gaskins' private cemetery that he'd previously been shown by him. 
In the cemetery, they find the bodies of Johnny Sellers, Jesse Judy, Avery Howard, Diane Neely, Johnny Knight, Dennis Bellamy, Doreen Dempsey, and her baby Robin. On April 27, 1976, Gaskins and Walter Neely are charged with eight counts of murder. Gaskins goes to trial on May 24, 1976, and just four days later is found guilty and sentenced to death. Gaskins' final murder, which earned him the moniker of the meanest man in America, was that of Rudolf Tyner. So while in prison, Gaskins was contacted by a family member of Tyner who was sick of the appeals process and just, like, wanted it over and done with. So to accomplish this, and, like, I almost have to give him credit for how kind of ingenious this is, he rigs a device similar to a portable radio in Tyner's cell and tells him that this would allow them to communicate between cells. When Tyner followed Gaskin's instructions to hold a speaker that was filled with C4 explosives at his ear and at an agreed time, Gaskins detonates the explosive from his cell and kills him. He later said in his autobiography, the last thing he heard was me laughing. Gaskins was tried for Tyner's murder and again sentenced to death. So he had two death sentences. It was the first time in history, in the history of South Carolina, that a white man was sentenced to death for the murder of a black man. While waiting on death row, Gaskins claimed to authorities to have killed as many as 110 people, although this is largely disputed. He seems like he's absolutely full of shit. Oh, yeah. Of his 15 confirmed victims, Gaskins was formally charged and found guilty for nine murders. He was never tried for some of the victims as the bodies were found after the sentence had already been passed. And Pee Wee Gaskins was executed on September 6, 1991 at 1.10 a.m. in the electric chair, just hours after he'd attempted to kill himself by slitting his wrist after regurgitating a razor blade that he'd managed to swallow and keep hidden. Whoa. His last words were, I'll let my lawyers talk for me. I'm ready to go. Okay. Well, what an interesting person. Weird. Yes. Weird dude. Very weird guy. And it's... Kind of odd because I feel like, and this is what I think is really odd about true crime is you can't see, like you, you can't seem to pick who the ones that are going to get like super famous and super well-known and like everyone knows Jeffrey Dahmer and everyone knows Ted Bundy. But, you know, up until I had sort of started researching what I wanted to do for this week, I'd not really heard of this guy. Yeah. And he had some incredibly horrific crimes and also one of those people where he got away with murdering so many people in his inner circle and, like, no one seemed no to one really could, bat an eye. Yeah. It, it is interesting how there's, it, there's, there's a distinction between cases that have become infamous mm. versus cases that are basically similar or not the same but have no real draw to them. Like, no one really knows about them. It is weird. There's that weird distinction there. And it all kind of comes down to like how charismatic or like little small things like that to do with the killer. Yeah. It's it's interesting, isn't it? It's very weird. I I was actually surprised how little I could find about this guy. Like there's mm. just really not a lot about him. There's not really a lot about the crimes that he did. Especially given the case that was in its, you know... It, in its hottest moments was in its like 60s to the 70s to the 80s like yeah right in that yeah that sweet spot of like here's where all the most infamous serial killers sort of came from like like i hate to use the term the golden age but it kind of was like 
the yeah, golden age. Yeah, I mean, of- it kind of was in a sense. It was just it was just this period in time where there was just like all the most infamous serial killers of like all time existed at the same time. Yeah, and they just kind of like got glossed away over with this it. one. Yeah. Uh, all right, but yeah, that is the tale of Peewee Gaskin. Very nice. We're going to take a short little break. Um, and after that, we shall go into my case. All right, welcome back. So my case this week is kind of, we've done that thing again where we kind of have that similar theme going on, where it's a a kind of that period of serial killers where this one kind of just went a little bit unknown. And I only recently found out about this one because I was just, you know, doing my thing, strolling through TikTok. Mm. And one of the very uh, infamous interviews with this particular person was on one of the TikToks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I did some research into who this person was and the story is insane. Okay. Um, again, one of those cases where it's like, how do not people not know about yeah. this? So th- this is the case about Joseph Callinger. So he was born as Joseph Lee Brenner III in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on the 11th of December, 1935. So his parents were Joseph Lee Brenner Jr. and Judith Brenner. So due to his uh, father abandoning him and his mother at a very early age, Joseph was eventually placed into a foster home in December of 1937. At the age of three, Joseph was adopted on the 15th of October in 1939. He was adopted by Stephen and Anna Callinger, and let's just say they are not very nice people. Okay, which seems to be the way with a lot of parents yes. for these people. So, uh, and and I was going to say, so often we find these specific seeds in people's backstories where we go, that's a, that's a sense of trauma. Yeah. This is something that not excuses their behavior, but... Ex- it explains it. Exactly. It gives us an insight into their mentality and how they eventually become the person they are. So, needless to say... Joseph went through severe trauma as a child from both of his parents, foster parents. The punishments he received from them, um, from just being a rebellious t- kid to just, you know, small things, uh, included kneeling on jagged rocks, uh, being locked inside closets, forced to commit self-injury, being burnt with hot irons, i.e. branded, being whipped with belts, starved, and finally, forced to consume excrement. Uh, no. Things got so bad that at the age of six, Joseph had suffered from a hernia given to him by his own foster father. Jesus. To add to this, when he was nine years old, he was sexually assaulted at knife point by a group of boys in the neighborhood. And this would eventually lead to, I guess, a trauma trigger where he, he would have episodes where, and this is something he noted himself, he would masturbate while holding a knife in his fist. And this okay. would be something that he would sort of regularly sort of go back to. When he was 15 years old, Joseph began exploring his sexuality and began a sexual relationship with a schoolmate, Hilda Bergman. And soon after the two began seeing each other, they 
became a bit more serious and Joseph's foster parents weren't really thrilled with the whole relationship. They apparently told him that he needed to break up with her. Instead, at the age of 17, Joseph marries Hilda and together they have two children. I mean... That's yeah. kind of a boss move. It, he's very rebellious towards these parents and teachers. So yeah. just like, he's like, you, you know what? No, I'm going to fucking marry her. Mm. Uh, so this would eventually lead to Hilda leaving the family for a, another man in September of 1956, supposedly to escape Joseph's frequent domestic violence. This was a very prominent thing in the relationship. And at a, such a young age as well, it's very, um, very... Uh, significant in april of 1958 he got married for a second time and together they they had five children with his uh, new wife again he was extremely abusive not only towards his wife but to his children as well sometimes he would use the same punishments that he received as a kid to his own Mm. children so he's passing on yeah like the cycle yeah this cycle continues of trauma Joseph worked as a self-employed shoe repairman who worked out of his own shop at the same address as his house in Front Street. He had apparently learnt this trade from his adoptive father, Stephen Callinger. And this would lead into his kind of infamous um, title or moniker, which I'll talk about later on. Okay. Now, Joseph would begin a very, very unhealthy relationship with Arson. He fucking loved Arson. This guy loved arson. Okay. Not as much as like, we've talked about some other cases where they've done like 200, like, you know, fucking Son of Sam was like responsible for 200 fires. This guy's not that crazy, but he fucking loves arson. Sometime after getting married in 1958, Joseph set fire to his own house, both for just general amusement and to collect the fire insurance of $1,600. Uh, the next few times would come after Joseph was committed to hospital in July 1959 following a suicide attempt. Joseph would set fire to the second family home. So he's already burnt the first one. He has a second one. Mm-hmm. Tries to set fire to the second one. Uh, he does it twice in May 1963, fails. Once in August 1965 and then once in October 1967. All separate occasions. Wild. Yeah. By 1972, Joseph and his wife were living at home with five of his children, two being from his first marriage. Yeah. His eldest daughter attempted to run away, unsurprisingly, from the home to escape Joseph's constant abuse. Uh, This was unsuccessful. Joseph eventually caught her. And as punishment, Joseph branded his daughter on the thigh with a hot iron. Jesus. Again, a form of abuse carried over from his own foster parents. A week after this, Joseph was arrested and he was found in contempt, uh, incompetent for trial and was held for psychological examination. Afterwards, he was eventually ruled fit for trial in June and was convicted for abuse charges, uh, unsurprisingly, giving him four years probation with mandatory psychiatric treatment. Now, according to Joseph, by 1974, he was severely suffering from constant hallucinations. He would have solid conversations with a disembodied head that he called Charlie and supposedly received personal orders from God himself. Now, we know know what a disembodied head is, not like a natural human head. It's like one of Mm. those things. Yeah. Yeah. The orders that he supposedly received from God himself were that Joseph had to murder young boys and sever their genitals. 
Yes. Cool. Uh, don't think God wants you to do that, but that's, you know, I guess your opinion. For some reason, on the 26th of June, Joseph decides to confide in not a, a doctor or his wife, his 13-year-old son, Michael. I, and, I love where this is going. Yes. And for some reason, further, he asked the same son if he would want to help him carry out these orders. Now, already this is fucking bizarre. You might think a 13-year-old kid would probably be like, oh, no, I'm good, thanks. I'm well, all right. He's probably terrified of his dad, though. Uh, to which Michael told him he was happy to help. Okay. I maybe wouldn't go that far, but... His words. Yeah. Just 11 days later, the they claimed their first victim, a young Puerto Rican boy, Jose Calaza torturing him before severing his genitals and finally killing him. Safe to say this woke something up in Joseph and he was so desperate to do it again, he turned to one of his own sons, a boy also named Joseph. So this would be Joseph the fourth, I suppose, because Joseph Callinger is the third Joseph right, of this family. Yeah. So this is the fourth. We'll just re- we'll refer to him as jo- Joseph Jr. Because in this family, he would be called Joseph Jr. Okay. So Joseph first attempts to kill Joseph Jr. by tricking him into backing up off a cliff while posing for a picture. You know, like, like cartoony kind of thing. Like, yeah. Uh, that obviously fails. And Joseph then took Joseph Jr. and Michael to burn down a trailer on the 25th of July. Joseph's plan was to attempt to lock Joseph Jr. within the trailer and set it on fire. However, this was unsuccessful. On the 28th of July, Joseph and Michael successfully drowned Joseph Jr. at a demolition site. The body isn't recovered until August 9th, 1974, where police immediately questioned Joseph as a suspect. However, they couldn't he couldn't be arrested due to a lack of evidence. There just wasn't anything really to pin him to it. On the 22nd of November, Joseph and Michael broke into a house in Lindenwald, New Jersey, looking for victims. However, no one was home. So they leave the house and break into a second home where they find their next victim, Joan Cardi, whom they tie down onto a, to a bed before Joseph sexually assaulted her. 11 days later, they struck again in Susquehanna Township in Pennsylvania. Here, they tied up five hostages and robbed the entire house at knife point. Now, they managed to take off with around $20,000 in cash and jewelry, but not before slashing one of the victims on her breast. Later on, they hit another house in Baltimore. They held a woman, Pamela Jask, at gunpoint and forced her to perform oral sex on Joseph. Um, now, I know what you're thinking. Bite it off. Always bite it off. Uh, I'd be pretty scared you would probably kill me if I did that. True, yeah. I would probably be like more likely to just be like, okay, I'll suck you off. Please yeah. don't murder me. Please do not murder me. Um, on the 6th of January, the father and son repeat the same process, this time on victim Mary Rudolph. On the 8th of January, they again invade a house in what I will probably mispronounce, Leoania, New Jersey. Nice. I 100% budgeted that, but well done. Here, the, here they held eight eight victims at gunpoint, where they later on robbed the entire household again. Victim Maria Fashing, who was a nurse attending a member of the house who was bedridden, was stabbed to death after she refused to Jesus. bite the penis off one of the male victims in the house. 
During his getaway, Joseph discarded a bloodied shirt near the house. When police eventually found the bloodied shirt, they managed to trace it to a dry cleaner called Joseph Felcher. When they showed the shirt to Joseph Felcher, he immediately smells a shirt and recognizes it as Joseph Callinger's shirt. When they asked uh, Joseph Felcher how they know it's his shirt, he tells them he knows the smell of which um, they later found out comes from glue. Uh, from that smell, he could just tell it was Joseph Callinger's shirt. And then they later on check the tags and everything and check yeah. the records and it was his shirt. Now, the glue came from Joseph's shoe repair shop. Right. He was a shoe repairman. So being a shoemaker and later on when he was known for these murders, he became he, – he was given the, the name in the moniker, the shoemaker. That's his ah, kind of name. Okay. So then this leads to then on the 17th of January, Joseph and Michael Callinger were arrested by both federal and state authorities. The first trial held in Pennsylvania for Joseph is – on the is in June in 1975. It ended with a hung jury. Three months later, at the retrial, he was convicted on felony counts and sentenced to 30 to 80 years. The judge at the trial, when passing the sentence, referred to Joseph as a quote, an evil man, utterly vile and depraved, which is a very fair description. Accurate. His trial in New Jersey was held in October 1976. Joseph received a mandatory life sentence to run consecutively with his time already given to him in Pennsylvania. Things did not slow down for Joseph whatsoever while he was in prison. Uh, this began with him setting himself on fire in March of 1977. So he's really gone off, going up in flames. A month after that, he attacked another inmate before making uh, another, yet another fire within his cell block. In March 1978, Joseph cut the throat of another inmate's throat. Uh, cut, uh, sorry, I butchered that sentence. In March of 1978, Joseph cut the throat of another inmate. However, the actual inmate survived the attack. Joseph Callinger is in his notorious for his TV interviews, obviously, one of which I caught on TikTok. Uh, there's one where he mentions the attack on the other inmate and his desires to kill people. And he's just a very cold-looking person. There's not a lot of emotion mm. behind his face. He even mentions in one interview his desire to slaughter everyone on earth and become God. He believed that once he committed suicide, he would become God. Cool. So, yeah. Later on, his uh, sentence in 1984, he was tried and convicted for murdering both Jose Colazo and his own son, Joseph Jr. Now, this gave him two more consecutive life sentences. In 1990, Joseph was briefly transferred to Fairview State Hospital for the Criminally Insane in Pennsylvania due to several suicide attempts and hunger strikes, which was supposedly due to a religious protest. I'm not too sure what that means. Okay. Um, so, he was... For the last 11 years of his life, he was on suicide watch. Apparently, just any chance he could get, wanted to go out on his own, on his own terms. Eventually, he was transferred back to the state prison when he suffered a epileptic seizure on March 26, 1996. Now, during this epileptic seizure, he actually choked on his own vomit and he died of the age of 59. That was in 1996. What a horrible way to go. Yeah, very horrible way to go. That was uh, five days after I was born as well. 
It was. Yeah. What a week. Yeah, what a week. I was born, Joseph Callagher died. Crazy. Now, Michael Callagher, the son who helped his father, Joseph Callagher, with these attacks and um, burglaries, he was a minor at the time of the trial, so he was ruled to be under the rule of his father and sentenced to a reformatory. Now, there's various sources say that he was released at 25. I've seen some that say he was released at 21. Either way, he was released and he moved out of the state and changed his name. Nobody knows where he is at the moment. That's mildly terrifying. Completely off the grid. Mm. Uh, People who have tried to contact, um, I think it was Joseph's foster parents or the foster parents that took on Michael. It's very hazy details. Mm. All I know is anyone who has any contact with him or anyone related to the family has told press anyone that Michael Callinger will not speak with anybody. And for good reason, I guess, as well. Yeah. Like, I mean, sure, sure he doesn't want to. Yeah. Can you imagine the weird uh, survivor guilt you would get from being the dude who didn't get his dick bitten off? So the victim yeah, you know got what? stabbed for not wanting to yeah. bite his penis off. When I was writing that, I was thinking that. It's like, what goes through that person's Because you'd be head. like, stoked, I still have my penis attached. But someone died for my penis. But someone died literally for my penis. Yeah, to exist. Yeah. You'd want to you'd want to use that, man. You'd you wanna, would you would have to be grateful. You'd for have the rest to be of so life. grateful. Yeah. You would have to have the best sex of your life for yeah. the rest of your life just constantly. It's really fucked up cuz I, I don't know if you would be able to ever have sex again knowing that like instead of someone biting down on your penis that person died because they refused to do it yeah the survivor guilt would be it would be tremendous i don't know if you would ever be able to get that out of your head it's wild though because i feel like you'd be like kind of just wish you'd bitten my dick off like do you know know. what i mean like it's one of those things where it's like the better of two lesser of two evils or like or the better of two bad situations. So like which one you can't really put a, a percentage or a, a rating on it. It's just a fucking terrible situation to be in. Horrible. Yeah. But I think about the sun. I'm like, you know, what happened during that reformatory? Well, I also guarantee that he was, if his dad was so abusive, he would yeah. have been absolutely terrified of his dad. Yeah. So abusive that the eldest of the, of the daughters Ran away, away and yeah. then got branded, branded for yeah. it. Like, you would be terrified that if you weren't just like, yeah, dad, let's go murder people. You're like, well, clearly you're thinking about it, so yeah. I don't really want to be the one that you murder. Yeah. It's, um, I, I don't know, because I, 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 I want to, that's what I mean with these cases too. And, and this is one of those cases, like I said, that just never really had any attention mm. thrown to it. Wild. Um. That it and and it and it leaves that sort of sense of well fuck what happened yeah what happened to Michael what happened to the family what happened to these people, and like in in some respects you're like okay probably good because it lets these people try to have some resemblance of a normal life mm. after this, but you know horrific like seriously what what happened post this, and just yeah. a crazy person to exist in the world, that's horrible yeah. 
Anyway, that is my case. Uh, if you are just here for the case studies, then um, we thank you for joining us. We will catch you next catch week. You next week. If you like where we just fluff on for a bit and talk about things, then welcome. Welcome to the best part of the show. That has I don't been... know if we're going to have much to talk about this week. It's just been fucking raining all the time. Yeah, we haven't really so gone it. anywhere. I mean, we, we, did, we, we did go to Mardi Gras. We haven't. Oh, yeah, we did go to Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras was a lot of fun. That was fun. Yeah. It, it did not rain. We were outside for Mardi Gras and it did not rain one bit, which was perfect. It started to rain like the second we got home, didn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it did. The second we got home, it was like pitter-pattering. And because we were, we were, when we went out, we were like, oh, yeah, we'll have like a good night. We'll stay mm. out. Got to like 9.30 and we were like, we were like oh, God, I want to go home. <laughs> we're old now. Like, I don't think we're old. I think mentally we're just like we're old for like club rats. We're like when it comes to being a club rat, we're like over the hill. I don't know. I feel like I have a method to it, whereas like usually, you know, there's like there's a method to it. You got to like drink a certain amount, do a certain amount of things, and get in the right sort of headspace for Mm. it. It's a very specific headspace. It is, yeah. I think if you sit down too long at somewhere. Or oh, yeah, not if long you enough. stop moving for like three seconds, you're like, I want to go home. Yes. Or if you drink too much and then you go somewhere else and there's that period between going from one place to the other, that's where I find I go, holy fuck, I want to yeah. go home. It's a fine art. Like you need to have, because it's so expensive drinking at clubs as well. So yes. it's like you need to have pre-drunk yes. enough to be like, when you leave the house, you need to be absolutely cross-eyed. So by the time you've commuted from home to the club, you've sobered up a little bit and you're kind of like that perfect amount. And then you just need to have like a drink every now and then to sustain that. Yeah. But it's a very slippery slope. It's like a fine art. You can have a little bit too much and then you get to the club and you don't get let in or you have too little. And by the time you add the club, you're sober and you're like, well, this is shit. Yeah. Like, or you're just not having a good time because you're like, yeah. I find when I get too drunk and I'm, I'm or I, I see, I find the stages of getting there. I am like uncomfortable. Mm. I don't like it. I, I sit there and I go, fuck, no, 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 come on. Let's, I, I slap myself in the face. I'm like, no, no, come on. Let's, let's get back to the regular. When have you ever, I've never seen you slap yourself. I go, I go to the bathroom and I, oh, okay. I spray, I splash water in my face and I slap myself. I go, come on. No, no, no. We're not doing this. I never knew you Well, I just, I just hate being so drunk. You, you can't communicate. You can't like do regular motor skills. Like. I love that. I hate it. I, I love it. That's when I start it. to have the most fun. I get really anxious doing it. No, well, that's the thing. You just keep, you need to get drunker then. Yeah. You're not drunk enough. You no, think no, no. if you're anxious, you're not drunk enough. Because all I'm thinking in my, in my head is like. Fuck! I sound drunk to this person. Yeah, no, you need to. That's get drunker. embarrassing. No, you need yeah. to get drunker. You're in the I can still have social perception stage. You need to push yeah. past that. But it takes a lot for me to get to that stage. Is when the thing. you start trauma dumping on strangers, that's when you know you've hit the sweet spot. You do that sober. You're I like, know. Yeah. <laughs> but I do it so. No, I do it to people I know. Yeah. When yeah. I'm a little bit yeah. tipsy, I will literally unload my life story to a complete stranger, stranger. if I'm yeah. drunk enough. Yeah. 
it's kind of bad. But also that's like how I met one of my best friends. So Yeah, I mean that that's how you weed out the people who can't handle you. Yeah. And you just hang out with people who are like your people, your kin. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes kind of you get really thing. good friends out of it. Yeah. But yeah, uh day whatever this is, like this is more Oh, I think we're past than... days. I think we're now into counting. This is the third week yeah. of like constant rain. It's and pretty I'm crazy. Well over it. Um, we have updated the house a little bit. So we were at some point on the... We have a dining table now, by the way. We, we were on the dining table. We uh, now have desks. We now have actual desks, which Which is look not great. a great podcast setup because I'm currently sitting on the floor. Yeah, we do the bullpen thing. So one desk. So our seats are facing each other. Yeah, we need to work it out before next week because that recording set up when we were doing the actual uh story part of it we had our backs yeah. to each other it's kind it of a hard weird. way to and now it. i'm sitting on literally on the floor yeah in order to be able to make eye contact with i them. think i can make it work i just need to sit down and figure out what i want to do yeah i might need new mic stands maybe that's a thing We'll Maybe. figure it out. We'll see. Yeah. This is an ever-evolving podcast. Do you remember that time when we did it in bed? That was fun. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should do that again. Yeah. Or maybe we should do an exclusive show. Where in, we're under the sheets. Under the covers. With Laura and Tom. Yeah. That could be fun. Just fart on, on the microphone like every five seconds. Or we're never going to do grunt that. moving. We're never going to do that. <clears throat> that's my, <laughs> that's my, my waking up noises. Oh dear. I really honestly don't have much to talk about this week. Yeah, I'm I mean, look. tired. Yeah, we can keep this one a relatively short one. I had a really bad shower. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's a that's a, a fun thing. We have no hot no water, hot water, water at, the at the moment. So, and this is like I get this is such a first world problem, but I'm like a little bit germphobic, autistic vibe, and I just hate showering anywhere that's not my own house let alone a public yeah space yeah so showering at the gym was like a near-death experience for me it was horrific i didn't zero out of ten would not recommend anyway that's yeah that's my story no it is not very nice you can't it's it's sort of a it's part of like a germ thing and it's part of also just a comfort thing like being home and doing something like showering is kind of a very personal, vulnerable thing. And I love a good long shower and yeah. I don't even have to feel guilty about them anymore because there's literally too much water. Yeah, exactly. I used to feel so guilty when we were in like drought. Droughts, I'd be like, yeah. I want to have a long shower, but there's no fucking water. Now I'm like, well, there's too much water. So I'll just stay in here for yeah, an it's, hour. It's kind of crazy how in the past, what is it, two years, we've gone through droughts, bushfires, covid and now flooding. Yeah, I'm I'm over it. And it's just kind of like, I'm, dude, I'm so over it. Yeah, I don't I don't need any more unprecedented life events. Yeah, <laughs> I'm done with unprecedented times. I want yeah. times to be precedented again. I know it, it kind of it feels like we haven't had a, a normal second since kind of COVID really happened. We had those sweet brief few months at the start of 2021. Yes, yeah. between like. February and June. Because for a while it was like we had zero cases for like ages. Yeah, and And then then it was like it went from three 
to five to twelve to twenty to to fifty, and it was like, oh fuck, here we go. Here again. we go again. Yeah. yeah. And then we were locked down for four months, and then for like for what? Because then they just let it go anyway, and we had like fifty thousand cases in a day. I'm just like, cool. Well, I'm so glad we spent those four months in lockdown for nothing. Yeah, it is. Um, I I mean, and then America marched for us to be released. It was a uh, Remember that? That was very interesting. They did. Yeah, they did. They had a march for for people to for get through us. Australia. Yeah, to get out of lockdown. Don't they all? Don't they think we're f- actors? Isn't I mean, that a some conspiracy theory that Australia isn't real? Yeah, there there's one hundred conspiracy theory. It's like Rule Thirty Four. If you think it, it's probably true. Probably Imagine thinking that an entire country that has like tens of millions of people. Some people don't leave their towns. Yeah, true. And they have no idea that. Well, they just don't care that any other world exists. You heard it here first, folks. Tama and I don't actually exist. No. We're just robots. We actually live in Arkansas. Yeah. We're actually American. We just have really good Australian accents. Yeah. Which is uh, funny because it's a country that doesn't exist. Yeah. We just made Made up accent. Yeah. Tama isn't even a real name. We just made that up as well. It's fake. It's all fake. Well, does New Zealand not exist? No. Okay. Fuck them. They're fake too. <laughs> okay. New Zealand, more like fake Zealand, am I right? Like <laughs> old Zealand. <laughs> no Zealand. Yeah, zero Zealand. Zealand. Oh, okay. okay, we're getting All tired right. and delirious. Yeah, we need to go to bed. Uh, well, it is a lot earlier this week. We were recording our first episode very late. It's a reasonable hour in the evening today. Yeah, it's but actually still, we actually done well today. I'm still tired, and I. Oh, update on the vampire porn book. Um, <laughs> it's not good. I kind of I DNF'd it. Did not finish for non gotcha. readers. Yeah. Um, I just couldn't. It was. I thought that I just wanted vampire porn. Turns out I do still need some plot. Otherwise, I'm like, this is just physically painful. Well, yeah, me. I mean, you kind of, if you're reading an actual book, you kind of want it to be good. Otherwise, it's like, why the fuck am I reading this? Yeah. So, turns out I do have a limit to how bad the writing can be because it's not even like the, you know, bad writing is bad writing. So, the bad writing in the normal parts mm-hmm. also turned into bad writing in the porny parts. And I was like, well, this is just Badly bad porn, porn now because yeah. it's poorly written. And I'm like, we should do a Patreon exclusive show where we do dramatic readings of poorly written. Very smart. That's already another podcast I want to do. I'm just trying to work out oh, the legalities of gotcha. it. Gotcha. The legalities. Because it's copyright infringement for reading someone else's oh, intellectual is it? property. Oh yeah. yeah. True. So Maybe if we anyone work listening a... to this knows how I can work around that, I actually have an idea. I'm gonna pu- I'm gonna say it now because then if someone tries to steal it, it's you in this episode them. with a timestamp. Yeah. I wanna do a podcast where I get and like make it a proper production, so have like sound effects and different voices, but get really drunk and read bad like erotica fiction. Because yeah. I think it would be hilarious. But it can only... You can't read good erotic... It has to be like bad Terrible. Wattpad yeah. stories. Okay. Um, but yeah, I need to work out how that works with reading out someone else's 
intellectual property. I guess yeah, if it's Wattpad, you could just ask them. I think if it's like fanfic where it's not a, you're not a published author and there's no publisher involved, there's no you know, yeah, is Wattpad like public domain? I if anyone knows, believe so. I genuinely like. I want to start that podcast, and I have a friend who's interested in doing it with me. You can just do Reddit forums, which would be so much worse than. Wattpad. I don't know. Wattpad's pretty bad. Yeah, but fucking, it's Reddit, bro. Someone made a Wattpad novel about falling in love and fucking the coronavirus. I kid you not. Okay. It's a real thing. Do you remember the Shrek is Love thing? Yeah, Shrek is Love, Shrek is Life. There's a fanfic that came from Reddit. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. So anyway. (laughs) Cool. If anyone... (laughs) If anyone knows the legalities about reading someone else's uh, storytelling out for a podcast, please yeah. genuinely get in touch because I actually think it would be really funny and it could be really well done if it's done right and I want to do it. The code uh, word for this yeah. week is vampire. Vampire. It has to be specifically vampire erotica. Like the, like the two they words? They have to say those two words. Vampire erotica. Yeah. Okay, and send a little vampire or a mean one of those little evil face yeah. emojis. Yeah, but I don't think I'm going to finish this book. Long story okay. short. Okay, vampire erotica people, send I might it. Maybe like push through and like keep going, but they just had their first like battle scene, and I was like, yeah. "This is this." No, thing. it's okay. We don't need to go through all that. Oh, uh, yep. All right. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> things are falling apart here. Vampire erotica, send it in. That's our code word. Uh, if you don't listening. know what the code words are, we, we give people code words. And if you have listened to this far into the podcast, send us in. You just send us a message, message saying the yeah. code word. You get no prize. No. Nope. Just a recognition for being yep. a, a, a real A king fan, or a queen. Not a fake fan. Or a non-binary royalty. What? I said a king or queen oh. or a non-binary royalty. <laughs> you the first part? So you were like non-binary yeah, royalty. Like, and I was like, that's put? very specific. Yeah. Anyway. We love all people here. Where can, where can they find us? At the BSC podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Bam. TikTok and Twitter. Bam. Not that we have been posting on any of those, but it's on my very long to-do list. I just need to get through... The next two weeks and then I start my new job. Hell yeah. And I'm only doing three days a week and I will have mental capacity to do other things that aren't just surviving nine to five. Hell yeah, boys. So stay tuned. We also have an exciting announcement that I think we'll be able to tell everyone next week. Cool. Awesome. I think. All right, guys. We'll we'll see you guys next week. If you're listening to this in bed, stay safe. Jump humping is the only way that is religiously okay. Um, we'll see you next week. Vampire... Uh, erotica send an emoji in BSC podcast everywhere we'll see you guys next week bye Bye.